Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome back, Jason. Coming back to this place. Good to see you. Hey, uh, yeah, y'all can let him, let him know that you didn't see him like last week or whatnot. Hey, you guys good? So, sort of like the last day of spring break. Excited? Yeah. I appreciate that. So, so here's, here's the deal. We have a lot of our people, uh, impact stuff and spring break and everything else that's going on. And, and I love this. This is what I see uh, over and over and over again in ministry is that God um, is real intentional with schedules and he's real intentional with preparation and he's real intentional with like how we lay things out. And he does things that we don't even know uh, that he's doing. And so even as I was planning to teach through this and we kind of modified what Second Timothy was going to look like because after some conversations we decided to do that awkward sex and dating series and then we jumped back into this. But here's the whole idea of Second Timothy. It's just this next thing where Paul is, is teaching Timothy like, hey bro, I'm on my way out. I'm about to die. And you have a church that's kind of difficult. And you have a ministry that's kind of difficult. And so let me hand you some things. Let me, let me equip you with some stuff so that you are ready for the ministry that God has for you. And when we look at 2 Timothy and you begin to, to chew on this, for those of you that are Bible scholars and you kind of have examined this book before, you will know that a lot of what's happening here um, is directed at a pastor. And when you read 2 Timothy and you go, well, it's about a pastor, then you can kind of check out because... A majority of you in the room are not going to be pastors. And those of you that are in that majority should say like, amen, bless the Lord that I'm not going to be a pastor. But in doing that, you check out from this. But God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, he puts all this stuff in scripture, including some, some directives that are, that are to be applied to the, the pastoral life, but they are 100% applicable to you. And the things that he calls Timothy to, he calls you to. The things that I'm called to do, you are called to do. The the most difficult part about this, and I've I've told you this before in, in my life, kind of frustrating, maybe not difficult, is that I work at a church surrounded by Christians. And I'm going to stand before you, I'm going to teach about evangelism and sharing your faith out at your jobs and stuff. And I don't get to share my faith, really. I don't practice evangelism at work. That would be weird. Hey, uh, Jim, have you heard about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Um, that's just a strange approach. A lot of times we go into people's offices and we have to like interrupt them praying. Like, hey, you, I was going to invite you to lunch, but you're talking to Jesus. And so you go somewhere else. But you guys are going to be sent out into the world into places where you get to do ministry all the time. And the words that Paul writes to Timothy, you have to hold on to, you have to grab. We're, we're calling you into that space. And a lot of our leaders who lead in our ministry here are leading an impact in other places. They're gone tonight. And so a lot of the people that I'm talking to, this is you. Like, you're next. You're, you're next up in ministry. You're next up in what the Lord's doing. You're next up in, in reaching people um, in this space and in our community and on campus and around the world for the gospel. And he's, he's calling you into leadership positions. And so even if it's like, hey, I, I don't want to be a Bible study leader. I'm scared of that. Um, or, or you don't want to volunteer in these places. He still called you. He still gifted you. He's still given you a ministry. And so he, he transitions from this idea of, of what ministry looks like, talking about a soldier and talking about a, an athlete and talking about a farmer, into this idea about um, teaching, the, the nature of ministry and teaching. But, but why does he talk about teaching to Timothy? We're like, well, one, he's a pastor, but, but why do we need to look at this? As we always do, we looked at the definition of what teaching means from our good friend Webster, and it's this, to cause to know something. That's teaching. To cause to know something. You're like, well, well, duh. This is what scripture says to us about teaching. Colossians 1, 27 and 28. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You have within you this mystery, which is Christ. It's the hope of glory. And it's your job to teach it to everybody else so that they will know about this, so that they can eventually grow to be mature in Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You know that. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe everything that I have commanded. That's your call. That's my call. That's all of our calls. That you are to go and you are to teach. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're going to get there. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. God's word is, is that we are called to teach it, to hold on to it, to take it to all the parts of the world. It's the Shema. It's, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm just going to go back there. I'm going to show you what, what happens after this. For those of you who've never read this verse, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, your strength. Verse 6, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. And what are you going to do with them? Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your city gates. It's like, this is how important this is. You teach them. You allow this to echo. And so for those of you that want to be moms and dads, you're going to be teachers. Those of you that want to be doctors, you're going to be teachers of God's word. Lawyers, teachers of God's word. Teachers in an educational system, still teachers of God's word. Whatever he's calling you to, this is the thing that has to rise up in you. You have to rightly handle God's word and be able to reflect it to those that God puts you like in space with. It's all that you're called to do. And this is why this is so important. And, and he highlights three things about a teacher. And so if you write in your Bible, I can't even turn this over anymore. If you write in your Bible, you can break up 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14, all the way down to the end, verse 26, into three little sections. The first one, he says that a teacher of God's word is an unashamed workman. The, the second section is that he is a clean or she is a clean vessel. And then the last section is that we are the Lord's servant as we teach. Here's the three things that Paul highlights, an unashamed workman, a clean vessel, and the Lord's servant. And, and he, he starts that entire section off in verse 14. He says, remind them of these things. What are these things? Well, you know that he's probably said something before this point. And all the way up until this, really chapter 1 all the way through, and even the first 13 verses of chapter 2, he says, remind them of the gospel. I've explained the gospel to you. And here's the, here's the cool thing that, that Paul has, is that Paul, in some sneaky way, when he went from trying to kill Christians and persecuting Christians to being a Christ follower, he had this unique encounter with Jesus. And when he says to Timothy, remind them of these things that I've taught you, we've read that those things came from Christ. There, there's an argument that it's kind of wild when you look at his instruction about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he, and he begins to explain to the Corinthian church how to go about the Lord's Supper. He says, these things that I heard from Christ, I give to you. And I'm like, well, Paul, when did Jesus teach you these things? Was it when you were, or you were blinded on the road? And he was like, oh, yeah, about the Lord's Supper, this is how you, you teach about that. And about, I, There's this guy, Timothy, you're going to meet, you need to teach him about these things. He has some kind of weird inroad. That, that I love that he has that. And he goes, hey, these are the things that I've learned. Timothy, you teach these things to these people, and you can't even like interject your own opinions because your opinions are not this. You just hold on to these things, remind them of these things, and charge them before God. This is what he's calling them to. The charge is what? To not fight about words. This is useless. And it leads to the ruin of those who listen. So the unacceptable alternative to teaching them the gospel is to quarrel over words. Timothy's basically told to avoid this practice that's pretty, running pretty rampant in the Ephesian church and in other places because it's going to ruin, it will be useless, and it, reads to the, it leads to the ruin of those who listen. And, and here's the important part of this. He's telling them to hold on to the gospel. Why? Because if you, if you abandon Scripture as the primary source of instruction for your life, then you end up damaging people and you end up creating division. I mean, he says it's useless and it leads to ruin. It leads to division. And this is why. When, when you leave biblical revelation for human um, opinions or human speculation, when, when you remove the authority of God's word, then the final court of authority is removed from the whole thing because people will fight over all kinds of things, dumb and otherwise, important and completely useless. If you've been around people 
at all, you know, like we'll argue over the most foolish things and we'll argue over some pretty important things. But here's, here's one of the things that you should always do. When somebody comes at you with a question or a recommendation or a discussion or they're starting an argument, you have to know where they're standing. And the difficulty in our world is that now that platform just moves around and whoever's truth it is, just that this is my truth and this is where I stand. If you remove like a final authority, if you have no common source of authority for evaluating experiences and opinions and traditions and all of those things, then your arguments are useless. Your arguments lead to ruin, they lead to destruction, they lead to division. And so you have to just hold on to the only thing that you know to be authoritative. The only thing that you know to be 100% true. This is the source of truth. And so we could spend an entire 45 minutes plus just on verse 14. How important this is, but just remind them of these things. The gospel. Because if you don't, then your words, your quarrels, your arguments are useless. They lead to ruin, to division, to destruction to all of those who listen. And so he, he, he lays a foundation, and then he goes into these ideas of how this should work. And these are the things that we need to hold on to. So starting in verse 14, the first one, I already said it, is an unashamed workman. These, in these verses, 15 and uh, all the way through verse 19, there's this uh, contrast between two types of uh, teachers, two types of workmen, as he calls them. It's good and bad. It's pretty simple. Here's the good one, starting in verse, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. The first one is, I love this, be diligent. It's sort of like the hardworking farmer analogy back in, in verse 6. This idea, this metaphor is this picture or, or it shows really ministry as something that is going to require you to work. It's going to require you to sweat. He says, be diligent. There's really, there's no room for slackers in ministry. There's no room for slackers in like the Christian walk. And, and I've heard it said this way before, that word work is hard work. Word work is hard work. And this is why. Scripture is challenging, right? There's stuff that you're going to read, and you're like, nope, don't get it, don't understand it. it. Even We'll just make it simpler. Some of you just have difficulty opening it, much less understanding it. Not because you don't necessarily desire it, because understanding it and wrestling with it is hard work. It, it just is. And so God could have made this like, like a Harry Potter novel, or Lord of the Rings, or Clifford the Big Red Dog for somebody. I don't know. He could have made it real simple, but, but it's not. Word work is hard work. And the good workman does that. Like, he just labors. It, it's also hard work because uh, it's controversial. Like, some of the things in here are divisive. And so, even if you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to believe this and I'm going to apply this, but I know I'm going to lose friends. My family might disown me. Like the stuff that's in here is, is really, really difficult. And so we could either come at you with small talk about Scripture and comfort you a little bit, make you feel good, or we can present to you the Word of God as it's presented in here that is challenging in so many ways. Paul, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 2, this verse 15, for to God we are a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I, love, I just love that thought. For to God we are a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. This is just, this is just difficult work, and it can divide. We, we will speak words that some people take as life-giving, and those same words can be death-giving to people. This is why this is so challenging to be a good workman. He's, he, he does that work. It, it can divide, but also a good workman keeps God at the center of his life, her life. Um, this, this work that I do, we'll make it personal, um, I get paid to, to be a pastor. 
Um, I, I, I don't not necessarily like to say that I get paid to do ministry because a lot of my ministry happens at home with my wife, with my kids, and with neighbors and, and other places. Um, but but I, it's a profession to me, and I've realized that the work that I do is never done. I'm constantly teaching my kids new truth. I'm constantly finding new truth in God's word. I'm constantly encouraging people. I'm sharing my faith with other people outside of these walls. I'm, I'm teaching you guys. My work is never done. And, and here's the thing. Some of you that start out as freshmen, we'll get to see you for two, three, four years, and then you're going to leave. And all of my work, if I could call it that, that I've spent with you, goes somewhere else. And you're replaced by another goober who's going to do that again. It's the work is never done. And so my only mental encouragement in all of this is really eternity. It's not the four years that you have in college. We, we look towards eternity. I have to live my life for the approval of God and not of man. Because the end goal is that I would stand unashamed before God, an unashamed worker. Because here's the deal. He, he put me here. And he's going to put you in places of ministry. He's already put you in places of ministry. He's given you a ministry, even if you don't recognize it yet. And so in that, because he's put you in that space for his glory, then your goal should be to be faithful with his word, not famous. Hear that. Your goal is to be faithful, not famous. If, If the ministry that you jump into is so that people will like you or think that you're cool, that's not what God desires for you. He call, he's calling you to be faithful. And, and I love this. I'm, I'm learning this more and more. I'm reading about this. I'm, I'm leaning into this. I'm hearing about this. The people who are going to be most famous in heaven, we've never heard of. You just haven't. Because you're going to be like, oh, that pastor did that? And the Lord kept him in a town of like 45 people? And he was faithful? That's what the Lord's calling you to. And so know that like the, the hard work for, the, for that who is an unashamed worker, that's what we get. And then lastly, like he's, he's just accurate. He's accurate with God's word. It, what we'll see here is he's just accurate in his teaching. Um, the Greek word, when we read that, that says that he like correctly handles, he rightly handles, he correctly teaches, um, is this word called orthotomeo. Uh, ortho means straight. It's, the, it's what we get from orthodontics. So you're supposed to straighten teeth. It's um, orthodoxy, which means that we rightly handle God's word. We, we, we handle it in kind of a, a straight way. And so this, this word here, orthotomeo, um, basically means that you cut straight. You cut straight God's word. And there's a lot of analogies out there that I was reading as I was going through this and, and random, random commentaries uh, it was like they, they talked about a father cutting a piece of bread, which was a weird thought to me, um, cutting that straight for their kids. They talked about cutting stones to fit within a building. When you're building it, that kind of makes sense. Uh, a surgeon making a cut um, that is straight, that's, that's uh, pretty good. Paul was a tent maker. He had to cut like leather in a straight line. But the best one that I saw, and I was reminded of it this week, is to cut a straight road. And any of you who have ever driven from like the northern part of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and any of those roads going into Colorado, all of those roads are dead straight. I don't know how they did it, but you get on it and you can see about 45 miles just dead straight. And it's kind of disheartening because you're like, I'm never going to get to the end of that thing. That's how they cut their roads. And, and in saying it this way, he, he's basically going, I, I need you to cut a path that people can walk on that is straight. You've cleared it out in a straight line, and so people can just look exactly where they need to walk. Your teaching doesn't make them curve. There's no question in it. You just cut a straight path for them. You're handling God's word in a way that people can walk rightly in it. And why do I say this? There's this guy named Ilamos from Acts chapter 13, verse 10. Paul puts him on blast. He puts a lot of people on blast, but this one's kind of cool. And he said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil. An enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? He calls him a son of the devil, which is pretty aggressive. But then he says, you've perverted the straight paths of the Lord. And this is just a challenge to us that we not do this. Because there's plenty of, of perverse and crooked Bible teaching today. And we need, within our ministry and within churches and around the world, like an army of people who can rightly handle God's word. Because perverse, crooked teaching leads people down this dead-end path. And for those that teach false doctrine, they're not going to receive God's approval, but rather they're going to receive 
God's judgment. I mean, he continues, he says, avoid, verse 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. This is, this is what you get by not making the path straight, by not handling God's word correctly. And, and I'm not saying to you, because this can just become daunting, and it should be in the first place, but I'm not saying to you that you become like the world's foremost Bible scholar before you start sharing Christ with people. What I'm saying is that you put in the work to understand it. You lean into God's word. You slow down. Like, I get the, I get the understanding of reading through the Bible in a year. That's fine. But some of you need to read a verse for a year. And just, just kind of sit on it. And allow it to come alive in you in a new way. And then to share it with people. This is what he's, he's calling us to. Faithful teachers, our end goal is godliness. When you pervert God's word, it leads to godlessness. That's just the promise that God gives us. Now the bad workmen. In verse 17. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's encouraging. Anybody know what that is? Gangrene is what happens when blood starts flowing to a part of your body and that flesh begins to fall off. And if not stopped, that flesh continues to fall off, just spreading throughout the entire body. That's gangrene. It says this, that it, their teaching spreads like gangrene. Hermanius and Philetus are among them. Puts more people on blast. Verse 18. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. Let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from this wickedness. This picture of the, the bad workman takes us from this road analogy of a straight path into an archery analogy. And basically, when he says they have departed, that word right there means that they've missed the mark. They aimed, and they missed it bad. We, we saw the miss. It was a complete air ball. It means that they've missed it. And so these teachers, they're going against this one specific truth, the resurrection. They taught that the resurrection had already taken place. And you're like, well, of course it has. Jesus has already been resurrected. It's not what they're saying. They're arguing that the bodily resurrection for all people has, has already happened. It's a, it's a weird thing that Gnostics believe that, that the body is basically sinful. And so if, if we can just get rid of the, the evil part of the body and just roam around as spirits, then, then there's more hope for us. But that goes against Biblical teaching, that's 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of the body is really, really important. You need to hold on to these things. They're trying to pervert the gospel. They didn't have 1 Corinthians 15 written down yet, but they're just trying to teach them in a, in a different way. And so what do we do with this like heretical teaching? He says that these two guys, their teaching is overturning the faith of some people. What does it say in verse 18? They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. They are ruining the faith of some. The, the result of false teaching is, is deadly. It leads people away from God. False teaching spreads throughout a community with ravaging, like gangrene effects. And, and this isn't much different than the world that we live in, really. Because of uh, tolerance, relativism, like whatever's true for you, it, it's true for you. People write their own truth, and, and Paul's kind of going, like, like really? Could, could you hear this? There's, there's a path, and there's a true path, and then there's a, there's a false path. There's a mark that you can hit, and there's a mark that you can miss. There's a, a truth that can, that can nourish, and there's a falsehood that kills. And, and we don't have to play the game that says, well, if that's true for you, then that's okay. That's, that's not what Scripture does. Now, this isn't go out and throw stones and cause havoc you know, outside the MSC and, and just build a crowd and say ridiculous things. It's understanding what what God is presenting in his word. And so, so what do we do with false teaching? It says that we avoid empty speech. We avoid irreverent, empty speech. Verse 16, stay on the path of truth. We understand that path of truth is revealed in scripture. We should also just avoid despair. Like, like I love this. He calls these guys out and he says, hey, that, that what they're teaching is ruining the faith of some, but this, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. This foundation literally means the church. And so he's saying, 
Don't despair, Christian. The church is going to continue to go forward because God alone in this space is sovereign and he has a people for himself. And we know, I mean, I love that if, I don't know if this is bold in your Bible, but it is in mine. The Lord knows those who are his. And he knows, like he has these people for two reasons. One is is invisible, and the other reason is visible. The first one draws on this story. When he says the Lord knows who are his, if you have a Bible that has these little like footnotes in it, I think I saw mine. Um, Mine says B, and when you go down to B, it says Numbers 16.5. And when you go to Numbers chapter 16, there's this really wicked, uh, wicked in a cool way, but also wicked in like a wow way, story that happens in Numbers chapter 15 that I want to just digest really quick. This is Korah. Korah incites a rebellion, if you want to flip over there. Now, Korah, son of Ezar, son of Korath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abraham, Abraham, Got to say that right. Sons of Eliab and On, son of Perth, the sons of Reuben. Here it is. They took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron, and they told them, you've gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy. Wow. And is among them. Why then do you exhibit yourselves, or why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? And when Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all of his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart, and the one he will let come near him, uh, and the one he will let come near him, he will let the one he chooses come near him. This is this idea that the Lord knows who his people are. So he will let the one that he chooses come near him. Korah, you and all of your followers are to do this. Take fire pans. And tomorrow, place fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord. And then the man the Lord chooses will be the one he is set apart. It is you Levites who have gone too far. And so they're, they're challenging Moses and his authority, which has been given by God, considering themselves to all be holy, and they will go against him. And so verse 8, Moses told Korah, now listen, Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the Israelite community to bring you near to himself. Like these are the priests. They get to perform the work of the Lord's tabernacle. They get to stand before the community and minister to them. He's given you a special place. And so then he goes and he sends for Dathan and Abram. And and he was like, hey, why don't you come out here too? We're fixing to have a battle. This guy is calling me out. We're all going to stand before the Lord with our little incense and we're going to see what happens. They're like, no, I'm not going to play your game. I'm I'm just going to stay here. So Moses becomes angry, verse 15, and he said to the Lord, don't respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them or mistreated a single one of them. So Moses told Korah, you and all of your followers, 250, are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You, they, and Aaron, each of you to take his fire pan, place incense on it, present the fire pan before the Lord, 250 of them. You and Aaron are each to present your fire pan also. So each man takes their fire pan and they go before the Lord. And, and I love what happens here. This gets so wild. They take it before that. Korah assembles the whole assembly in verse 19, the whole community against the entrance of the tent of the meeting. Of the glory, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this community so that I may consume them instantly. So, so God's mad at this point. He says, hey, there's 250 of them out there. I need you to step back because they're about to die. What if God said that? Like, that, like at that point, I'm screaming and running. All right, that's all I'm doing. What does Moses do? But Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, God, the God who gives breath to all, when one man sins, they're calling out Korah, will you vent your wrath to the whole community? The Lord replied to Moses, tell the community, get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, Abram. These are the guys that called him out initially. <laughs> so Moses gets up and he goes to Dathan Nabroom and, and he was like, hey, you need to get away from the tents of these, these wicked men. I'm warning all of the community, you need, to, you need to get back. Don't touch anything that belongs to them or you're going to be swept away also. So they got away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Meanwhile, I love this, Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents with what? Their wives, their children, and their infants, their babies. And this is what happens. Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord sent me. 
to do all of these things and that it was not my own will. You understand what they're arguing about? He's like, let them out of Exodus. They're walking through the wilderness. They're mad because they had it, that it made there. They had food and they had water and they had houses, but now they're homeless, wandering through the desert, no longer slaves, but a little bit irritated. And he's like, hey, this isn't my fault. The Lord sent me. Verse 29, if these men die naturally, as all people would, and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them all, along with all that belongs to them, so that they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Just as he finished speaking, the ground beneath him split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their household, all of Karah's people and all of their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them, and then the earth closed over them, and they vanished from the assembly. What? Here it is. God knows who his are. Like, he just knows. And this story is so wild. And then it goes on, the Lord spoke to Moses. No, we'll go a little bit higher. The earth closed over them all assembly. At their cries, as they're going down into the earth, verse 34, all the people of Israel who were around them fled because they thought the earth may swallow us too. Good thought. I had my fire pan. I was standing with him. I was on his team. He just got eaten by the earth. So I'm out. And they're screaming. And what does God do? Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were presenting the incense. You don't get away. Boom. God knows who his are. This, this is unbelievable. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the fire pans from the burning debris because they are holy and scatter the fire far away. As for the fire pans of those who sinned at the cost of their own lives, make them into hammered sheets as plating for the altar. And what is that? Every time you come back to worship, you're going to see it. Every time you come back to worship, he's like, I hey, remember those guys that were swallowed by the earth and then burnt. That's, their, that's what they were holding. Our God is holy. He picks his. Like he, he knows who's on his team. And so, so when we look at this and we're going, okay, I can either be an unashamed workman and work really hard, or I can not, I can be a shameful one, but I got to hold on to this. Verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. And when you turn away from wickedness, you get this. The second image, a clean vessel. We'll try to get through these quick. Basically, houses are filled with all kinds of utensils, pots and pans and cups and glasses and forks and dishes and all this stuff. And you have the nice stuff, the gold and the silver. Those are, those are saved for honorable use. And then you have the wood and the clay vessels that are like ordinary, dishonorable use. Just like the paper plates of like biblical times. And the master of the house gets to use honorable vessels for like the special occasions, break out the fine china for the, for the special occasions. And the dishonorable ones are used for just like the menial stuff. Um, and then oftentimes thrown away at the end of the day. And so when we, when we look at this, it says, now the large house, which is literally talking about the church, there are gold and silver, but there's also wood and clay. So there's a large house that's the church. There's a couple different bowls or vessels, and this is good teaching and bad teaching. These are faithful teachers um, and these are unfaithful teachers, and we see this, what happens here. So, uh, sorry, but also are wooden clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He's basically saying like within the church, faithful teachers, those that have been characterized as faithful, get used by the master. And that's just all that this is saying. The vessel is clean, it will be honorable, and it will be used. And this cleansing is not only talking about like your life, but your doctrine. And, and you gotta, you got to understand this when verse 19 says that you turn away from unrighteousness. Verse 22, the sandwich in between these says you flee from youthful passions. There's, there's this idea that when you come to Christ, you have to clean yourself up. When, when you come to Jesus, that you have to do a couple things so that he will accept you. The, the, the difficulty with this is, is that this analogy here, you're like, well, I don't want to be one of the, the dishes that's thrown away. You're already in the master's house. Okay, this is the important part. And so what he's talking about here is not that you've cleaned yourself up so that you can be used by the master. It's, it's that you're focusing on the right doctrine so that you can be used by the master. 
Like you've, you've been made whole, you've been made righteous, but then there's this work that you do to know God's word, to lean into God's word, to be fed by God's word, to grow in God's word so that you can be used. It's a cleansing of your life that happens in salvation. It's a cleansing of your doctrine that's part of your sanctification as you just go about living life. And so to be an honorable vessel, you have to pursue that pure doctrine and that pure living, and then you... Pay close attention. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, you you pay close attention to your life and to your teaching. And that's when God uses you. And so a couple things we see from there, if you want to make some notes. One, you're set apart. You've You've just been set apart from unrighteousness. Second, you're useful to the master. Clean vessels are just useful. He gets to do with them whatever he wants to. Third, clean vessels are prepared for every good work. And, and what that really means, this is so important to us, is that when you are prepared, the very end of that, prepared for every good work, it means that you're just willing and eager to do whatever God calls you to. If it's go overseas, then go overseas. If it's serving a, in a role that you didn't think was so great, then it's serving that role. If it's serving a role that you don't think you even deserve, then it's to serve in that role. He is, he is preparing you, and, and he's saying that you're prepared for every good work. You're just willing and eager to do whatever he wants you to do for his glory. Verse 22 and 23, flee from youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but reject foolish, ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. What what Paul's saying here is that you need to purify yourselves. He's saying, here's some negative things and here's some positive things. Negatively, we've got to flee from youthful passions. Um, All throughout the New Testament, the term youthful passions really... Uh, is interpreted as some sort of sexual sin, and Scripture does say that you need to avoid that. But in this context, it's not just limited to sexual sin. These youthful passions that he talks about, um, if, you, if you keep going through this, it's really best understood as a temptation, to, uh, a temptation to quarrel, a temptation to be unkind, a temptation to be harsh, a temptation to use your words wrongly, to start arguments, to say things that are not needed in spaces, to, to not be careful with what comes out of your mouth, um, that is youthful. And, and this is something that I need to apologize for. It's something that other people probably need to apologize for because it's, it's one of the most dangerous things that we probably do in ministry is not guarding our words and how we deal with people saying things at the wrong time, addressing people in the wrong way. Um, We'll throw this out there. Uh, If you have to label a space or if you're fearful of a space that you don't want other people to read or to be engaged in, talking like the dogs chat and you guys get offended when girls see what you put in there, this is what this is talking about. This is a youthful passion. If it's not a space that other people wouldn't be offended by, God's offended by it. I'm just going to put it out there. There's there's joking that happens, and sometimes we step over the line, and yes, you apologize, and yes, you make those things right, and and the Lord should be convicting you of them, I hope, but but we have to be better than that. Like This is what he's going after. If you desire to be next, and you desire to rightly handle God's word, and you desire to, to faithfully present it to people, you practice this in all spaces. With what you say, with what you think, with what you type, with what you think is in a secret space. There, there's not a secret space from God. There are some things, I'll say this, there are some things that guys should talk about. But the things that guys should talk about should be within a group of like two or three, not in a group meet with 100 people. And within a group me of 100 people, if you're going to say something about somebody and you're offended that they find out about it, you're in the wrong space. One, you're in sin because you're talking behind their back. But two, you're in the wrong space for it. And I'm sure I I don't necessarily care. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the dog's chat except for here recently because I was called to it. The same thing may happen in the girl side. I'm throwing shade at guys because I should because you're called to be leaders in this space. But the same thing probably happens in the girl side. And if it's not in some chat where other people do it, you do it in secret. And that's sin also. There, again, there's some things that guys should wrestle with and you should contend with. You should have conversations with the people that you trust. 
but these youthful passions that we put out there. This is what he's talking about all throughout here as he, as he continues on here. He's like, your words are so important, and word work is hard work, and your tongue is, is a weapon, and the heart is deceitful. And so there's, there's so much that you have to guard in this space. And hear me, in those spaces, if you're upset at accountability, get out of that chat really quick because it's fixing to be elevated, okay? If you get kicked out of it or if somebody calls you out on it, know that you've done something wrong and come have a conversation with somebody, okay? We're going to find you first anyway. But you're going to know because God is calling us to this. And, and hear me, I love what God's doing around here. And I'm, I'm getting on a podium for a second. I'll get back off of it. I love what God's doing around here. And this is the most deadly weapon the enemy has. And, and if he allows our tongues to get out of hand, it's so dangerous. Wrangle them in, hold each other accountable, step up into these spaces, flee from these youthful passions, grow up is probably what Paul is saying here. Carrying on. Paul says the opposite of that, the positive of that is this is what you do. You pursue righteousness, you pursue faith, you pursue love, you pursue peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You pursue these things with brothers and with sisters as you walk. This is what you're doing along with those just chasing after Jesus together. I love this. Paul does this a lot. It's the flee pursue idea. He says, run like you've just escaped from prison. Run. You're running away from something that is bad in your mind, but he also says to pursue something else. It's not just like blindly like you see in a prison movie. You jump in a creek and you don't know where you're going to go. You just keep running. No, run from this toward something so great. Think about it. You've been starving in prison. What's your favorite food? That's what you're running towards, all right? I just broke out of prison. There's a lasagna factory that I can smell, and I'm heading there. This is what he's talking about. And, and so you're pursuing faith and love and peace along with those who are called from a pure heart to do so, running towards those things. And believers are urged to flee idolatry and materialism and, and sin with our our bodies and with our mouths and all of those things running towards God. You know what you're running from, but make sure that you know what you're running toward. And this is our goal. When we talk about standing firm and striving together, we're just running towards something. And then lastly, it's the Lord's servant. Verse 23, here it comes. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. This is, again, guarding your words. What are you talking about? What are you arguing over? What's most important to you? Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive by his will. He's basically going, hey, this is what you're called to the Lord's servant. The, the word literally is slave. The Lord's slave, which means that you know who your master is, you know who you are serving, and I know that that can have a negative connotation, but this is what it, it means um, in the New Testament time. You know who is over you, and you honor him with your actions. You're gentle to everyone. You're able to teach because you know God's word, and you can present it well to people. You're patient He's putting all of these things on display. And hear me, it's really easy for us, like the way of the flesh, is to take out our frustrations on people with rash words, with offensive words, with words that make people laugh, and I'm, just, I'm guilty of it too. Um, I can throw really, really good like word right hooks and shut down things really, really fast. But the Lord's servant is called to pursue Christ. And in that, the Spirit presents or produces within you gentleness. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Like, I love this. When, when Paul's talking to, to the Thessalonians, he says, We were gentle among you as a nursing mother would be to her own children. This is the, the idea that's presented to us. But, but it doesn't mean that you're, like, shy, that you step back. He's not telling Timothy to be, like, passive. Um, he's, he's calling him to step up. He says, I know you're fearful, but I need you to, to rise up in there. I need you to instruct your opponents, verse 25. Gentleness doesn't mean that you're timid. It's strength under control. It's, it's meekness. And, and Timothy is being called to correct those with love, to do so gently. And why? What's the goal? If you do that, perhaps, verse 25, God will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of truth. Your gentle correction, the goal is salvation. 
And, and, and here's the deal. Like, a lot of you are like, well, most of the time when I gently correct people, they're already saved. You know this guy that they were talking about up there before? Our bro, I, I always forget his name. Um, where did he go? Her, Herminius? Hi, yeah, Hymenius. If you go back into 1 Timothy, uh, he has a, a cute little verse said about him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. When he's talking to Timothy about engaging in battle. Halfway through verse 19, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan. He handed them over to Satan. If you go back into 1 Corinthians, why does Paul hand people over to Satan? So that they can be tormented in their body so that they may return. He's basically going that they're saved, but they're, they're wandering in their truth into this odd space. And so I want Satan to torment them so maybe they'll come back to the Lord. And so, so when, we, when we look at this and we go, we're, we're called to be gentle for the salvation of others, you're going to have people that, we, that you can say, hey, that's a Christ follower who's living in sin, and I'm going to gently correct them so that they can continue to experience their salvation, because it's not a one-time moment. Like, the sanctification happens over and over and over again. Your salvation is, is really kind of an everyday thing. Yes, it's once saved, always saved, but there's work that continues to be done in that. You're raising people up, saying, hey... You're not called to win arguments. You're called to win souls and faithful followers of Christ who rightly handle God's word. Get to see people turn from their sin and turn to Christ. And all of this you go, man, like, like this is heavy. And so, so this is how we'll close. As Jason, you guys can stick up here if you want to. Um, everything that's, that's in here is really, really weighty. Like all of this stuff as I read it, I'm going, I got work to do. Like th- this is hard. Because you're called to be faithful. Like, you're called to be next. You're, you're called to, to carry on the ministry that, that God has called us to do. You're, you're called to be a faithful teacher, an unashamed workman, diligent in your Bible study and your presentation of God's word. You're honorable vessels Maintaining purity in your life and in your doctrine and in your speech to other people. You're called to flee your youthful passions and to pursue Jesus. You're, the, you're called to be the Lord's servant. And, and in that, you avoid like foolish conversations and controversies with people. You, you speak gently to your enemies. You pray that God may grant them repentance. You present to them God's word so that they return to God or experience him for the first time. And in all of these, we read this verse already, these challenges caused Paul to cry out in 2 Corinthians. Like, who is sufficient for these things? My words bring life and they bring death. God, you have to do all this. I'm not sufficient for it. Who's sufficient for these things? And then he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, my competency is from God. Everything that you see good in me is the result of God's hand on my life. And so here's the release. You're going to fail at this stuff. These tasks that scripture call you to, that they call me to, you're, you're going to fall short of them. And then you're gonna, you lean back and you get to take heart that the one who died on a cross for your sins has satisfied or has fulfilled all of these things And through him, you get to live out these things faithfully. Because Jesus was the ultimate unashamed workman. He perfectly taught God's word. He's the ultimate honorable vessel. Everything that God called him to do, he did. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm not real excited about this, but I'm available to you to do. Okay, so the cross and death, okay. I'm going to honor you in all of those ways. I'm going to... I'm going to be the the atonement for all of their sins. He's he's the ultimate honorable vessel, and he he was the ultimate Lord's servant. Like I love Matthew 11, 29 says that he was gentle at heart. He was humble when he approached people. He portrayed like a meekness and a majesty at the same time. If If you go and look at Isaiah chapter 53, like how it describes Jesus as as a suffering servant who was flogged and was mocked and who was beaten and he goes to the cross like a sheep being led to to slaughter. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's crushed 
for our iniquities. The weight of our sin is on him. He's oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Verse 12 says that he bore the sins of many that were rebellious. Like that's us. Jesus being the Lord's servant is is not only the model for you as you do ministry with your life, he's also the person that gives you power to live your life on mission. And so in all of these spaces where you know, like, John, I've I've messed it up and I'm in that same space, I got it, I've messed this up. Like, I have one, this Jesus, who has satisfied all of those things. And as I pursue to know him more, then I can be successful in all of these spaces. Perfect? No. But honoring him in those, and then when I mess up, I, I beg for forgiveness, and I ask the Lord to strengthen me in that space, and then I just keep going because I'm willing and I'm eager, as Paul says. This is what he's calling us to. Like, like this has been one of the weightiest things for me to, to study and to try to present um, because it's so unbelievably important. And if we could get this part right, um, it, I would be amazed at what God does through you and what he calls you to and how he rearranges eternity because of your obedience and your faithfulness to that. Um, because this is what I'm seeing. It, it's, not just, it's not just who's next in our ministry. Um, like I, I love what we get to do here, um, but it's bigger than that. Because some of you will end up at other churches in your college career, and bless the Lord for that. Some of you are going to be on the other side of the planet for your life. And if you could get this right, our impact within our ministry and what you do could echo into parts of the world and we would just never know. We would never know what God does through you if you would just get this right. But, but it starts with you getting it right now. And so let me pray for you. And, and then we're going to wrestle with this a little bit because there's, there's some things that I trust that that you need to wrestle with that maybe you're convicted by. Um, maybe some people that you need to have a conversation with. Um, maybe you need to have a conversation with God in, in your seat. Maybe you need to come up here, um, even to the altar and have a conversation with him. Maybe grab a friend and, and pray. Um, and allow God's word uh, to convict um, and then to act on it. Let me pray for you. Like, God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to lean in. Um, thank you for the challenging parts of scripture and thank you where they push us. And, and we pray for boldness um, that we would step into the spaces that you're calling us to and that we would respond in a way um, that faithfully honors you. Um, so would we be that? Um, would we be unashamed? Would we desire to, um, to honor you and how we serve? Would you continue to call us higher as we pay attention? In Jesus' name, amen.